Good afternoon and thank you for taking time out of your schedule, everybody online, uh, to join this online community event. My name is John Butler. I'm a council member with the Institute of Marine Engineering and Science and Technology and also the chair of the local Aberdeen Maritime branch here in Aberdeen. I'm delighted to have uh, the opportunity to chair this event uh, for OGV Energy, uh, where we'll be exploring the landscape, or should I say the seascape, of, uh, of the marine and shipping sector this afternoon. So I'm really delighted to be able to take the opportunity to, to chair the session and uh, even more pleased to be able to have a panel uh, so esteemed as the one we have with us here. Um, now, personally for myself, uh, shipping has really always been a part uh, of my background. I spent the majority of my professional career uh, in the offshore marine industry, starting off in the Merchant Navy, uh, working on board chemical tankers, uh, before going into sort of the oil and gas uh, upstream uh, subsea construction industry. So the, the maritime and subsea construction um, industry has always been a part of, of what I've done. Uh, since my marine days and shipping, I've been a member of the IMRS and uh, became a chartered engineer with them and since became a fellow. Uh, becoming a fellow within the Institute of Marine Engineers and Science and Technology was one of the reasons that I ended up joining the local Aberdeen Maritime branch as well. Trying to do it more within the area here in the maritime sector. So again, any opportunity to be able to promote uh, the marine and maritime sector is always something that we're happy to do and really look forward to doing. Now, I guess really at the moment, you know, shipping is is is, is going through uh, a lot of changes, and uh, and we're, we're seeing that more and more. But often, for people who aren't involved in our industry, it's this silent industry that happens a lot of the time, with the vast majority of a global population not realizing it's hardly happening at all. It's only when we have these sort of black swan events where you have uh, Eva Given uh, blocking the Suez Canal and, uh, and suddenly shipping comes, this, uh, comes right to the fore and you realize how the, sort of the, the, the global operations of maritime shipping really can affect our day-to-day -day lives and has, a, has these impacts. So it's, uh, it's great to have these opportunities to be able to raise awareness and talk about different areas in the maritime sector and, and different technologies that are currently being uh, pursued and undertaken. But um, firstly, what I want to do is I want to thank uh, the, the sponsors for this event. So firstly, we've got LibreStream Technologies, who are a global technology company that empower workers and technologies that help them rapidly diagnose, inspect, maintain assets anywhere in the world. And they are represented here today by Mike Murphy, their VP for engineering uh, for, for emerging markets. So thanks, Mike. Uh, delighted to have you on the panel. Uh, as well as that, I'd also like to thank uh, Trasco Energy Logistics, who are a global freight forwarding company, for supporting this event. So again, it just uh, these sponsors give us the opportunity to be able to host these events and uh, and you know so sort of engage with uh, with the people and uh, discuss the topics on to on on uh, we're talking about today. Now, for the people in the audience uh, joining me uh, on the stage today. Uh, to, to explore the maritime shipping theme, I'm thrilled to be joined by the following people. Now, they will introduce themselves, but I'll give a brief over, overview. So we've got Maddie McLean, who's Secretary General of Zero Emission Ship Technology Association, Zestus. We have Vincent Duday, who's Sustainability Director with Harima Marine Contractors. We also have Marit Mork, Inspection, uh, Innovation Projects Manager for the Deep Purple Project at Technip FMC. We have Barry Booth, Managing Director at Seoul uh, ERDC. 
Mike Murphy, we just mentioned, VP International Operations and Emerging Markets with LibreStream Technologies. And last but by no means least, Alan Crowley, Master and OIM at Senate Drilling, who has just dropped off our panel. So hopefully uh, he'll, uh, he'll catch my intro in a few minutes. So um, I guess really what I want to do is uh, for the audience, explain what our structure is today, how we're going to go about things. So we're basically, we've got, uh, we've got the panel session, which will run from now till about 20 past three. Uh, the session will be split into three main themes uh, that we're going to tackle this seascape for, for maritime shipping. Uh, first of all, we're going to talk about sustainable fuels. So basically, that's going to be looking at e-fuels, alternative energy, and what fueling systems are we're looking at within the maritime sector to help allow that decarbonization to happen. Secondly, we're going to move on to new technology in the maritime sector. And that will focus on a lot of the areas where we're looking at uh, sort of the, the types of technologies to allow decarbonization, but also talking about the, the technologies that are there to help enhance the, the utilization and the productivity of mar maritime shipping, and also look at the technologies that are assisting us in being able to deliver uh, innovative solutions offshore uh, without having people come uh, from onshore to, to support us. So again, uh, Mike will be talking around that, as will, as will Barry. And then lastly, we'll be talking about training and competency. Uh, now, for me, training and competency is, is a huge aspect for what we're looking to try and achieve uh, in, in our professions in general. Uh, the, the, the requirements and the expectations of new workforce coming through is huge, but also the imperative to ensure that our existing workforce remain uh, sort of relevant and valid in the work that they're doing and are given the necessary and right support in order to enable that to happen. <clears throat> so that's where we're delighted to have Alan, who's going to be talking about some of the work that, uh, that Standard Drilling have been doing and how they've been using uh, sort of the, their, their uh, onboard training systems in order to support the development of their, uh, their personnel, which is a really great thing. So... What I'm going to do is, uh, so yeah, so really for, for the three topics, uh, I'm delighted to have, you know, to have everybody be able to discuss this. Um, however, what I do want you to remember as well, it's the next point we've got to get through, is there's a networking session, right? So we finish here at 20 past three. Uh, and then from 20 past three until half past four, there's going to be a networking session. So for all these 52 people who are on the call now and rising, uh, if there's any discussions, any questions you ask, that you, want to, that you want to ask in person. There'll be opportunities for some speed network dating at the end of the, of the session. So basically you'll be thrown into a room and you'll have an opportunity to, to meet with some of the panelists and also some of the other attendees. So do stick around for that. It's a great opportunity to really get that network going. And lastly, before I stop talking, uh, it's about you guys in the audience. This is a great panel you have. It's a great topic we have. There's going to be some great discussion. But what we want is to ensure that you become a part of this. So down the right-hand side of my screen, I've got all the questions that you and the audience can ask. And I want you to ask them. As we sort of explore different topics, if you've got any questions to add, if you've got any suggestions, if you've got any opinions, by all means, put them on there. Uh, They'll come up in my screen, and then what I'll be able to do is be able to direct those. So this is your opportunity live during the panel session to impart some of the uh, your sort of um, understanding or, or ask some of your questions during the session itself. So that's uh, that's pretty much all for me. I'm going to um, I'm going to take a break now, and I'm going to allow the, the panelists to introduce themselves. So firstly, 
I'm going to start with uh, Maddie McLean. So, yeah, thank you, John, for the introduction. Maddie McLean, uh, Secretary General and Founder of uh, the Zero Emission Ship Technology Association. Um, Zestis is an international association uh, representing primarily technology providers whose technology is zero emission uh, at point of use on the ship with minimal upstream impact. Um, so we're, we're a hard line on true zero. My, I have a background in sustainability um, and I've been working in sustainable shipping for over 20 years. Um, we're seeing a lot of changes in shipping and it's kind of like some of those, so it's, it's a bit like one of those 20 year uh, overnight successes. So um, I've been slogging away in the background for many years, but I'll talk more on that uh, further on. Thank you, Nadi. And uh, next over to yourself, Vincent Jude. Thank you very much, John. My name is Vincent Jude. I think just like almost everybody here, I have a passion for energy and the sea. I've been in the offshore for about 10 years when I started studying in uh, Delft, offshore engineering, and I started working at Harama Marine Contractors in 2014 as a, as a rookie, junior engineer. Uh, I've been offshore a few times, been away, but decided that sustainability was the one thing uh, I wanted to divide my life to in a way a little bit just like uh, Madith, but not 20 years, only for five years now. And so far, we've seen a great success, a great opportunity, and also a lot of challenges that I would love to speak to you about today. Thank you, Vincent. Marit, over to yourself. Thank you, John, and thanks for the introduction. Uh, my name is Marit Mork, working in Technique FMC in Norway. And starting a little bit with the beginning, I've um, been in oil and gas for about 20 years, uh, most of the time in Technique FMC as a process engineer, as a flow assurance engineer. And I was also uh, becoming very interested in, in sustainability and energy transition. As part of that, uh, me and some colleagues, we initiated work in Technique FMC to look after new opportunities within renewables. And that came out to be the deep purple technology development program, which I'm now leading. So for the last five years, I've been working full time in Technique FMC uh, in looking at offshore solutions where we're combining offshore wind and hydrogen. And as part of that, we are also uh, working towards maritime sector to see how hydrogen can be the fuel of the future for, for maritime sector. So my current role is to be manager of innovation projects in the Deep Purple business unit in Technique FMC. Thank you, Marit. Barry, thanks over to yourself. Thanks, John. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, I am Barry Booth. Um, I am the co-owner of a group of technology companies. Um, one of such is a company called Seal. Um, in Seal, we effectively um, we build an, an enhanced safety and efficiency um, in an intuitive way for the maritime sector, typically around navigation and passage. My, my background is as a software engineer. Um, I was in technology. I spent a lot of my career actually in GNSS augmentation before moving into the maritime sector. Um, but we built this business because my business partner, um, co-founder and friend, Des Neal, has actually had a, had a history and a career as a mariner himself. So it made sense for us to enter this space and see what difference that we could make. Excellent. Thanks, Barry. So, Mike, over to you next. Thanks, John. Um, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, my name is Michael Murphy. 
Um, I'm the VP of Emerging Markets with LibreStream uh, Technologies. Um, we're fundamentally a high technology company that provides uh, digital capability uh, that supports uh, the concepts of remote working, uh, whether offshore or uh, in, the, in the maritime industry. Um, I have a uh, high technology background uh, with a PhD in engineering. Um, before that, I uh, uh, had a background in the maritime industry and um, now have uh, over 25 years on delivering in uh, the high technology uh, industry a wide range of solutions. So on the first aspect, when we're talking about uh, sustainable fuels, <clears throat> Obviously, this is um, becoming a major uh, issue for the, the maritime sector. Uh, you know, so a, a recent uh, sort of quote that, that I came across is that uh, if maritime shipping, global maritime shipping, was uh, was a country, it would be the sixth largest emitter globally of uh, of, of greenhouse gases and uh, CO two. So, you know, the the, the the potential and the opportunity for uh, for decarbonisation of the maritime sector can't be underestimated. And um, the International Maritime Organization, IMO, have set standards uh, based on that in order to you know, sort of align with uh, the UN same, uh, development goals, uh, particularly 13, which is climate action. And, uh, and that is one of the areas that are really trying to uh, lay down the marker to challenge the maritime sector to be able to, to uh, meet these decarbonization goals. Now, Maddie, I'm going to come to you first. Uh, I know the work that uh, Zest has to do with the IMO. You're you're heavily involved in these areas. So, for ourselves, the panel and the and the and the, and the audience, can you give a little bit more background to the IMO, their uh, their 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 uh, emissions guidelines, and how that's been managed and how that's been progressed at the moment? Right. Thank you, John. Uh, in in 2018, the IMO agreed on uh, what is called the initial strategy. Um, with short, mid, and long-term measures. Um, the short-term measures are, are being finalized um, currently and will come into effect in 2023. Um, so, so the, yeah, short, mid, and long-term measures. Uh, the, the, the IMO is beginning, the, the long-term goal is um, uh, widely stated is to achieve at least 50% uh, reductions uh, compared to emissions from 2008. And I think what's really key in this is the words at least. It, it was a difficult session. Uh, it was very hard to get um, everybody on board. Um, and, uh, but but the, the IMO got an agreement. And I think that we're gonna see some changes to that agreement. Um, uh, Mr. John Kerry, who is the climate uh, uh, representative for the United States, so a big change in this administration is actually admitting that there is a climate crisis and, and then um, uh, President Biden has, has appointed him as, as the lead on this, has made, it, made an announcement on Tuesday that the, that the United States will be pushing for fully uh, net zero from shipping from 2050. So this is a huge shift from, uh, from at least 50% compared to 2008. Massive, and the shipping industry was already reeling with the idea of how they were going to achieve um, uh, uh, that that initial um, that initial goal. Um, so, 
at the same time as we're seeing this, we're also seeing the IMOs beginning to dis discuss um, uh, life cycle impact. So, so not just looking at the what we call um, uh, uh, tank to weight emissions, but looking at the full well to weight emissions. So all all the way through from the time from when this uh, the fuel is well either extracted or created in the case of, of uh, some of the new fuels that are coming on, looking at the full life cycle analysis. So this is really going to begin uh, impacting um, the upstream sector. So, so, um, so, some, for, so for example, um, gray hydrogen, uh, hydrogen made from steam methane reforming actually can have uh, higher greenhouse gas impacts than, um, than, uh, than, than the current fossil fuels. So, so the idea of oh, it's zero emissions on the ship, that that that's not going to wash. I mean, like I say, the com the conversation has just started. There haven't been any decisions made, but from uh, the impetus and the direction the IMO is is going, there will be some um, uh, greenhouse gas uh, restrictions attached to that uh, bunker delivery note, what what they in the, called the BDN. So, okay, uh, so if, I, if we look to sort of unpack that a little bit, then yeah, okay. uh, it's interesting what you say. So you've got, uh, I guess, John Kerry in the new uh, sort of uh, U.S. administration who's really sort of focused on on climate change, and they're they're making uh, severe uh, sort of uh, um, measures to, to to meet and targets to meet within maritime shipping. Uh, now you've also got the emissions trading scheme, uh, which has been expanded for the use of um, of maritime shipping in the EU. And there's a similar thing in uh, in the UK as well. So that's again looking at the emissions that are coming from vessels. So am I right in saying that these are kind of not punitive, but but they're 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 measures that have been put in place that ensure that there has to be compliance for maritime shipping in order to meet certain decarbonisation. Would that be correct? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's it's beginning to be regulated. We're already seeing these regulations in land transport, um, and and so now uh, um, bringing bringing that that into shipping will will begin to to, to level up playing field, but also uh, uh, begin to to um, open the sector uh, for for opportunities in in alternative fuels. Um, I'm I'm going to let that go there. I can I can mm -hmm. perfectly happy to come back and talk about those alternative fuels, but I'll. Well, tell you what, so if, if I bring in Vincent at this point, so I guess really, Vincent, the, the work that you've been doing with Harima are, are, are one of the areas where you've looked at some of your construction vessels and looked at areas where you can look to decarbonize the traditional uh, sort of uh, uh, carbon intense uh, activities and uses. So can you explain a little bit about what uh, Harima are doing yourself? Yeah, there? I would be delighted. Um, basically, we have set ourselves the goal of being 100% carbon neutral by 2025, at least. Uh, we've done that by already going carbon neutral by means of carbon offsetting last year. Of course, that's only the start, doesn't really count, but it does give you an incentive. You know, we finally started putting money to where our mouth is, and we actually put a dollar's worth on CO2 emissions. Granted, it's only carbon offsetting, only still something. Then the next steps would be, uh, we've also set in motion or created a roadmap with a few key technologies that we believe will help us even within a few years to reach carbon neutrality by means of prevention, 
not emitting or burning the fuel firstly, then uh, reduction, other fuel mixes, and then finally, if needed, compensation, including carbon capture and storage on board for the biggest vessel. Um, from this roadmap, and if you actually Google here about carbon neutral, it's probably the first hit that you see. You have a nice picture there. I can maybe share the link later. On this roadmap, there's one very big block in the middle that's about, uh, well, I'd say at least half. We don't know how the coming years will be. And that half will come from most likely the use of biofuels or the likes. And that's simply because there's a lot of technologies already available. These are also technically and commercially available, but probably also a bit costlier than simply using the correct types of fuels. But we have a plan in place for everything. We did a pilot last year. It seems to be working. At the moment, we're just looking at how do we scale the use and make it commercially available to ourselves and our clients. That's, I think, where the biggest issue is. Well, I wouldn't say issue, challenge, and also knowledge on board uh, of the person. Excellent. Alec, uh, I guess you've also, you know, you, you use some different techniques uh, for some of your vessels as well, which basically includes sort of, uh, floating solar um, as well as like, even Tesla batteries. So basically, I guess, you know, a lot of what you're doing sometimes for me comes down to part of that. If we're not always going to replace a like for like solution, what we're, what we're no. going to do is, is create um, a, a plan. Or, or a number of different technologies which will all support the decarbonization of the vessel. And I, I think right, this is the areas you've been going in using multiple different techniques in order to decarbonize those areas, Vincent. Uh, I hear a lot of people saying there's no silver bullet. That's correct. I believe there are many silver bullets. Um, I also believe that each vessel is different. And we have the luck that we have very large vessels in which space is less of a concern and weight. So we can use more technologies, I'd say, in order to decarbonize. I think actually having the biggest vessels in the world might be might make it easier. You do have a lot more energy consumption, which is, of course, a challenge. But for instance, where solar panels for most vessels won't do, well, we have uh, almost three football fields of area that we can readily put solar panels on, which could cover a lot of our hotel loads, especially considering the fact we are working vessels, which are merely, well, not merely, but we are floating islands with cranes. Most of the time we're standing still and we don't have to sail. So that also gives us advantages. So each vessel has its own roadmap. Uh, we've made one for ourselves. We have some luck there, but still plenty of challenges. Yeah, sure. I like that. There's no one silver bullet. There's 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 loads of them, you know. So that's that's a I like the positive attitude there. So okay, so if we if we talk about that, then I guess uh, you know. So some some of the areas, obviously, you know, uh, I know the panel I've worked in is looking at uh, hydrogen as one of these potential fuels, and uh, the opportunity there is that uh, hydrogen and hydrogen derivatives can be used for e-fuels. Now, Maris, I'd like to bring you in here because obviously the the deep purple project that uh, that Technip. I've been working on is really focused on a, on on a hydrogen. So, can you give us a little bit of a background uh, on the on that project and and where you see the potential and and the potential in the maritime sector as well? Mm, yes, thank you. Yes, um, Deep Purple project is absolutely linked to the maritime sector as well, uh, and through the years developing this, I would say, offshore integrated energy solutions where we have 
hydrogen as a key part of it, meaning electrolyzers and maybe fuel cells, depending on the use, we see the maritime sector as an important uh, segment in our future business around Deep Purple. So to start a little bit on the high level here, the business segments that we are working on to develop now is mainly four business segments for our technology and solutions. It's related to decarbonization of oil and gas installations. You can imagine that uh, replacing the use of gas turbines offshore required a lot of energy. If we could combine the use of offshore wind with hydrogen, that will enable actually to replace large scale the use of gas turbines and thereby have a reduction in carbon CO2 emissions. And there hydrogen is used as an energy storage system. And we have are developing currently a specialized subsea storage solution for seasonal storage of varying renewable energy. So that, but the same technology we see used in other market segments as well. So the other major market segment that we are looking into is something that is really up on the radar in Europe these days. And that's the combination of large scale wind farms with large scale hydrogen production. Most of the projects being developed is onshore, but what we are looking at is also to produce the hydrogen offshore. And then it can be transported in pipeline to shore. And the nice thing with hydrogen compared to a power cable is that, especially over long distances, you are able to transfer much more energy in the form of molecules than in the form of electrons. So here I see a link towards maritime sector. Um, of course, hydrogen is an energy carrier that is being used in many purposes. Uh, as fuel to maritime sector is one of them. It's other transport purposes. It's uh, as, a, uh, as, a, as a feedstock for industry purposes. It can be used for heating and so on. So in general, what we are doing is to provide uh, solutions for renewable energy production and, and storage. And then we have the third segment. Uh, this service storage solution that we developed uh, originally as part of our oil and gas application, we see also the use for in harbors, um, very much linked to, uh, I would say, um, probably coastal vessels, uh, because uh, basic, uh, or we believe that we have to, in an offshore context, start with, with compressed hydrogen. And we recognize that there is definitely limitations to use of compressed hydrogen in terms of uh, on long distance uh, shipping. But uh, still for coastal vessels, we believe that compressed hydrogen is the simplest and short term, best short term solutions. And if you are to utilize uh, hydrogen as part of your um, infrastructure, you would also need storage of that hydrogen. And storing it underwater in crowded areas represents an interesting alternative to storing it on the quayside where you have limited space, a lot of activity, you need the large safety zone and so on. So we believe that putting it underwater a little bit outside from all the traffic uh, represents also actually a cost efficient solution. So currently we are working with some interesting um, concrete uh, um, use of this uh, out of Norway. And then the last, last um, segments that we are working on is actually to use the same technology where we integrate wind and hydrogen in towards oil and gas also to um, to develop off-grid energy solutions to, to power remote islands. You can imagine that a remote island is, is similar to an oil and gas installation far offshore. Most uh, Many islands today, they run on diesel gensets with an electricity price, in, uh, basically, which is much, much higher than the grid price onshore today. So they need a new energy solutions and the combination of renewables 
uh, and energy storage uh, represents a, a key solution to that. So all in all, we develop integrated energy solutions where hydrogen is the core and where we can um, especially focus on off-grid energy solutions uh, and then all of them being offshore and also hydrogen production linked to, to coastal areas and, and offshore use. So that's basically deep purple. Excellent. No, it's really good. It's like it's it's um what I find very interesting is like an interesting point that you know it's it's uh, it's a lot easier to 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 uh, transport molecules as opposed to electrons. You know, it's like it's it's an interesting way of uh, of, of articulating it. You know, and um, I'm very much a, a, a believer in the idea of a decentralized energy system and uh, and the whole purpose of like you know sort of. Uh, an offshore platform, uh, a, a, a large offshore construction vessel, it is like an island, and uh, so it can be used in those offshore contexts, but also for offshore islands, you know, of which there are, you know, numerous all over the world, but uh, but obviously we're, we're, we're blessed with them, a lot of them in the northeast of Scotland and in Norway as well. But um, so, Matt, if I was to come to you then, so say, right, if, if, if hydrogen is the, is, is the fuel, uh, is the is the potential fuel? Where are the challenges? Where where, where are the where are the limitations with hydrogen, and uh, and how how do you manage those? That's that's a very that's a broad search. Um, yeah, where are the limitations? I um, right. So if I'm going to speak from a shipping perspective, um, the limitations with hydrogen. What is holding the uh, shipping sector back is is one um, a supply of hydrogen. It's not there yet, um, and and we don't we don't. Um, we don't really see, I mean, there's a lot going on, but we don't really see it emerging um, quite yet. Uh, uh, people who are outside of the sector don't see it emerging quite yet. Those of us who are in the sector see it moving very rapidly. And the other is onboard storage. Um, so, um, and then of course, price. So it's the cost, it's availability, cost and uh, volume of onboard storage. Now, um, as, as I said, those of us who are in the sector see things moving very rapidly in, in the upscale of production of hydrogen. We're hearing you know, um, uh, constantly uh, uh, new, um, news of new projects going forward. Uh, um, the, the cost issue is, um, is, is one of the reasons why hydrogen is so expensive is because we're really looking at a pilot, pilot projects all over the place. And yes, it's incredibly expensive when you're talking one or two megawatt scales of production. We need to be talking gigawatts here. So gigawatts of wind, offshore wind and, gig, and gigawatt sized electrolyzers. And then by 2030, we'll begin to see uh, a levelized cost of hydrogen. And I'm seeing reports from all, all over the world coming in at around $2 US, $2 US per, per kilo. And this brings it, when you, if you're bringing in some of those market-based measures that we talked about earlier, this brings it into um, a parity with, with, with fossil fuels. So, so those are the, those are, that's, and then the last um, issue of volume um, is a, a lot, a, a lot of this can be um, dealt with, with uh, shifts, shifts in operational profile. Very often, uh, a lot of vessels um, are, are using uh, are bunkering um, far more fuel than they actually need uh, because they want it because they're, they're bunkering um, so and, I, and I'm talking oceanic ship in here they're bunkering where, where, where the bunkers are cheap uh, I think this is a different case with, with um, the, the offshore sector uh, where um, uh, 
where we'll need to look more at shifts in efficiency and electric hybrid, hybridization. But, I, but I, I think that the volume problem is, is, is completely doable with, as I say, shifts in, slight shifts in operational profile. For example, is um, if we're producing the energy uh, at sea, then it becomes possible for these vessels to bunker at sea. And, to, and to also we're producing electricity and hydrogen at sea. Ships can both recharge their batteries and potentially bunk, bunker hydrogen at sea, uh, eliminating the need to, to, for that long trajectory back to port simply to refuel, as an example. So those are the challenges and those are my solutions. <laughs> Good, and like, uh, I guess well, I, I, I'm always careful of overrunning here, and this is a wide topic that we can talk about for forever. But uh, Vincent, I'll leave the last one with yourself, um, uh, unless we run back to later on. And if there are any questions from the audience, please do put them in the chat. You're more than welcome. There's a great audience we have. Uh, Vincent, for you, I would ask, um, if it isn't hydrogen, uh, you mentioned about biofuels. Hmm. Uh, where do you see the, the, the next alternative uh, to, to hydrogen in, uh, in those sort of new fuels? Yeah, it depends on the vessel, but uh, I have quite an exotic view on that. And um, going back to this discussion between chemicals and electricity, considering the fact that over the last 10 years, the battery prices on average dropped almost 100%. Trend is uh, looking forward to be continued. Not just that, also um, energy content, um, charging states, uh, solid state lithium is they say bound to be coming on the market pretty soon. If you can scale that up, combined with certain types of vessels, I believe full electric uh, vessels will definitely um, come of age, you could say. Maybe don't have to bunker at all, especially if you stand still for a long period of time. Then again, looking at a vessel like the Slidemere, it's pretty hard to do that electrically. Uh, but Final remark then, uh, still I would say biofuels or synthetic fuels for those uh, instances where you have to sail, especially looking as a ship owner again, you make a lot of investments in your engines and also the chief engineers don't like to really tinker a lot on the engines themselves. Any adjustment you do is like an open heart surgery. So probably for the next 20, 30 years, you want to keep those engines and then put in synthetic fuels with hydrogen of course but that again is just a matter of cost and very costly indeed so before you get to that stage you probably have to still make a use of a lot of biomass we've had some talks about nuclear um, i did a little bit of research in that i don't have enough information maybe others here can help on that but as far as i know it's very costly a lot more expensive than what we have now and also you're not really allowed to go enter ports and other stuff. So that's uh, from a technical viewpoint, a lot of experts really like it, especially I think my and my colleagues, but not really uh, commercially viable or uh, desirable, I'd say. So and uh, still biofuels and synthetic. Yeah. It comes back to those, uh, those, there's a range of, of, of bullets with all the silver yeah. bullets. Yeah, and, and I see a great remark here. Methanol, yes. Ammonia, yes. At the moment, we're doing research on all of these, also uh, other types of hydrogen, uh, hydrogen, solid hydrogen, etc. Um, we're exploring. Again, I believe every vessel has its own uh, 
opportunities and challenges. For us, still, hydrogen, et cetera, will be tricky. I already know that, at least going back to Marit's uh, remark, it's all about scalability and affordability. We made some preliminary calculations and it seems like we need about half the output of a liquid hydrogen factory, uh, yeah, yearly, daily, whatever you like, in order to power the slide near fully. Um, so that's, that's just a matter of scaling and, and, and costs there. And I believe other technologies will come of age before that is scaled, but who knows? Perfect. Yeah, and I do notice, uh, actually, Werner, uh, thanks for your question. Uh, and thanks, by the way, for, for grabbing Rob's question there. Uh, Werner asks, has any advancements in technology been made in hydrogen production electrolysis from seawater? So I guess, um, uh, Maddie, it's just to, or actually, Myrit, um, either of you, if you have any opinions on that? Seawater so electrolysis? Like, just just quick, quickly to answer that we, we've got a technology provider who's who's has a seawater electrolysis technology, which is a, is a TRL6, so it's just a matter it you know, the technology exists, it's just it's just a matter of scaling it up. Okay. So, um, Mars, would you agree? Yeah, I think so. But it's, it's not matured yet, it's not commercially available at the moment, but it will be an interesting alternative uh, also for us in the future to, to follow the companies developing seawater electrolysis. Yes. Certainly, as, as, as we scale up and uh, we're looking at uh, offshore uh, electrolysis, it's, you know, the, the abundance of seawater is something that's going to be definitely a benefit. So thanks for a great question. Now, I'm going to move on to sort of one of our next topics, and it's, and it's really talking about sort of new technologies. Now, a lot of that can, can fall into the sort of, uh, obviously the space we're talking about already, but I want to bring Barry in here a bit because, you know, the last time I was uh, a, a, a working uh, engineer uh, on a merchant ship, uh, we used fax home uh, messages, you know, uh, showing my age, but that's, that's how well it was, you know, and uh, it was always great fun because obviously, you know, your, 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 your parents, or your loved ones would fax to the ship, so everybody on the bridge could read your, your mail before you did. They, never, they said they never did, but I don't know. Now, technology has definitely moved on a lot since then. So, Barry, I, I guess, could you take us through some of the technology that you're working on and, uh, and how that's affecting shipping? Yeah, I, I, think, I think the first thing to say is that technology's come on a long way in a very short time in this sector, from what I understand. I mean, we, we started organizations. It was actually start, part of the organization was started by my business partner, Des, about 20 years ago. And at that point there, he was starting to change the way that we um, dealt with shipping out our charts to the boats. And it was trying to almost consider changing uh, the way that we put the updates out. So therefore not doing them through a DHL carrier, but actually sending them via an email service. You know, and, and that seems, it wasn't that long ago. In fact, actually we're still offering services such as that. We don't do the chart provision ourselves. We've, we've got customers that do that for us, but our services allow, allow you to do that. I think what happened when, when we when we started the business about 11 years ago now, we actually came out based on the, the SOLAS requirements for ECTUS uh, and that being passed in the, the January 2011, I believe. Um, and the reason that we did that was, although there was about 34 um, producers of ECTUS or electronic chart display and information systems in the market at the time, there was actually only three producers that had actually written the software from scratch themselves. And everyone else in the market was using the same kernel, 
basically. And therefore, you know, they actually stay in the code base and putting their own pretty pictures on top and, you know, branding it as their own product. And we actually thought if, if this was going to become a requirement in the market now, we there really is room for other people in there to make sure that, I guess, that, they were not all relying on the same bit of technology across all of the 56,000 Solas vessels that now required to have at least one Ectus on board. And that's, and that's why we entered it. The opportunity, however, at that point was, was very obvious to us that really the way that shipping was going was that you, you needed more visibility, you needed more capability with regards how you dealt with data from shore to ship and back to shore again. And that whole that whole mechanism that we were so used to onshore, it still wasn't there offshore. And if I'm honest, in some places, it's still not there today. You know, our, our services, although we're we're used to using restless web APIs and, and all of this technology everywhere, we still have to allow for updates on our platforms to, to be done through an email service because that is the channel that's mostly available through through vessels in an offshore environment. So the the technology when, when we started, we got laughed at when we considered touchscreen. To, to be honest with you, we were told, don't bother building an Ectus, it's extremely hard. Many have tried and failed. And secondly, don't bother doing it in touchscreen. Touchscreen will never work at sea. Uh, and, and the reality of it was that we ignored both of those points. We, we managed to build the Ectus in probably about three years with a very small team, got it approved from DMV and suddenly became, I think at that point, the fourth company that had an Ectus kernel built with the newest technology, built for touchscreen first. So we weren't relying on trying to up-rev something that could work as a touchscreen solution, but wasn't naturally going to. Um, and then and then at that point, we, we kind of, Again, we started to see opportunity for these things to occur, and tablets started to become more uh, more obviously being used. And to date, you see a huge amount of that now. We see a primary Ectus being used. We see a secondary Ectus now more often than not being used on a vessel, but actually a tertiary system being required or requested, whether that's on the back of bridge as a laptop or whether it's a ruggedized tablet working through pilot plug connections and the likes. This technology has all come from 10 years ago, paper being the most used chart that we were seeing in the sector, to now actually things like augmented reality and virtual reality and heads up displays being considered more often. You know, and, and this is the, the way that we see the see the technology stuck. I think from my perspective, I our our business is around safety it's around how we um best enhance and empower the crew to make better decisions and that does come back to a level of sustainability here because if we can provision if we can prevent collision and groundings and oil spills and the likes then fantastic and now this the small print will be that we never say that we can do that but we can give you the tools that help you but by, by looking at also weather and speed optimization and these things that can be developed and delivered through the tooling nowadays, that you can make better, um, better decisions which will improve the amount of fuel usage on board the vessel. Um, so, but collectively, I think it needs to be, these suites need to work together now, John, to actually make a real difference. But, it, but it's interesting because like, the, the, there are so many different areas that you can, you can move as well 
And I guess, Barry, you kind of touched on the sort of the 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 uh, the use of the iPad and yeah. uh, and how you kind of take these, you know, sort of I guess these these things that we're very used to using in our own lives and uh, and then using those in, in a work application. And I guess, Michael, to, to 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 bring you in here a little bit, I guess some of the work that LibreStream have been doing, I I know sort of the, the work that you've done on looking at e-workers, where what you've managed to do is use some of those technolo technological advances uh, to minimize the amount of personnel having to be offshore. So can you give us a couple of examples of where you've been working in these areas? Yeah, uh, uh, absolutely. Um, so just so uh, for the audience's benefit, um, uh, a little bit more about LibreStream. Uh, we are, as I said earlier, we're a high technology company. Um, we provide quite sophisticated remote working solutions. Um, uh, or augmented reality type solutions for um, operators, um, uh, engineers, technicians, operatives, crew members uh, on vessels can seek assistance, um, uh, get access to remote help uh, using everyday technologies like um, laptops, uh, smartphones, tablets, um, as we've heard, or even now um, uh, smart glasses. And, um, and this, this capability uh, doesn't just extend to uh, video support, it also extends to uh, the provision of um, information such as uh, work instructions, so receiving uh, clear digital instructions that they can follow digitally uh, on, their, on their smartphones, their tablets, even, even their smart glasses, in order to uh, perform the function that they need to perform efficiently and, and uh, safely. And, and we've been doing this now for, for 18 years. And, um, and in fact, we, we coined the whole notion of being able to remote, remotely work and, and bring the advantages of that to a wide industries, which uh, includes oil and gas and includes maritime. And uh, John mentioned uh, uh, a, a solution called eWorker. This was uh, an initiative that we uh, kicked off with uh, Wood Group, as it was back six years ago, and enabling the offshore industry, um, particularly in the North Sea. And um, we work very closely with, with Woods and with oil operators such as Shell uh, and others in developing our capability, um, but also developing the capability with uh, other key technology providers which are related to the maritime industry, and, uh, and in particular, uh, satellite communications. Um, now, when you say satellite and you talk about video communications or anything that requires a reasonable large data transfer, uh, you usually get visions of fright on the, the faces of particularly data costs or the potential data costs. And, uh, but two things have happened. Um, uh, one is uh, providers like ourselves have developed uh, that are very efficient with the, the bits that are used, the, the data rates that are used to carry information, whether it's video, audio, or, or work instruction information. Um, and, um, and, and in parallel, uh, the satellite operators, like Inmarsat, for example, um, have got smarter with uh, their, their data networks, their global uh, satellite data networks. And also, they've got, um, uh, uh, smarter with the provision of the data plans that they can provide uh, uh, shipping companies as well as offshore installations. So when you combine um, the economics uh, of satellite providers 
And you combine that with uh, the advances that we make in our technology, um, with the falling price of mobile devices, uh, smartphones, tablets, smart buses, and so forth, then we're seeing a, an increase in the adoption. Not just offshore, who have the lead, uh, but also in the maritime sector. And this really does play a role in the theme of this, uh, this panel discussion in, in improving uh, emissions and also increasing safety. Um, the more information, the better guidance that you can provide uh, a vessel or the crew on a vessel, the safer they can operate, they can operate the less likely it is that you have to reuse a vessel uh, to go to port for a maintenance or for a repair or an issue with, with cargo. Uh, many of these now can be solved uh, in motion at sea by using these um, technologies. Um, that was uh, great. Yeah, this is a question as well for, uh, for Mike. That's correct. Um, yeah, just curious because we tried a lot of things with our satellite network as well. It's quite expensive having internet offshore. Um, so any, we believe like things like the Starlink network might be beneficial there to get more uh, cheaper broadband internet. Is that something you're also taking into consideration? Uh, we, yeah, so we, we do work with um, a wide range of um, network providers. And in fact, we're agnostic. We, uh, we, we enable the capability over these networks. Um, but to give you an idea of um, just how efficient our solution can be over these um, uh, communication networks, you, you can operate our technology at data rates um, as low as 30 or 40 kilobits per second. Now, that's really low. Uh, any of you who can throw your minds back to as John was saying, the, the fax machine, but if you think about modems, dial-up modems as they used to be, um, that was quite low data rates, and, um, and, and they were operating at 56 kilobits per second. Um, we can support uh, remote communication capability, um, video, and the capture of extremely high-definition images, and being able to interact with those, as well as share work instructions and so forth data rates that are incredibly low, as I say, down to 30 or 40 kilobits per second, and even lower. Um, we can train operators, ship operators, crew members, in how to use our capabilities so that they can operate at even lower, lower data rates by being smart at how they use the available data over those networks. Um, so that's a very long answer um, to, to the question. Um, as I say, we're agnostic. Uh, what we do is we enable the capability over whatever the network is and make it as efficient as possible to reduce the cost to the operator. Perfect. No, thanks, Mike, and uh, thanks for the question. Uh, Barry, just to go back to you a little bit, you know, it's like um, I, I know one of the areas that uh, a lot of shipping is looking at is basically about optimized route selection in order to sort of, uh, avoid sort of, uh, weather systems and and, uh, and the potential impact that can have on fuel and yeah. uh, fuel consumption. Um, so is that some of the work that, that you guys are involved in as well? Yeah, we, 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 we do do that, and we actually have that in, in part of what we call our backup bridge system for passage planning. Um, we, we, don't, we don't suggest that we are um, 
going to go up against and try to build the same level of accuracy that the, the bigger, bigger global players um, do, um, because that's not the market we're in. What we are trying to do, however, is to give the the captain and his, and his mates the the best information and make a best possible decision at that point in time on the vessel without having to transfer plans back on shore. So at a click of a button, they can actually make an informed decision on the back of bridge as to what route they want to take at that point. Um, and and again, it's it, it's actually been very well received thus far, but I think it's important and think that's where you're going to start to see a lot more advancements moving forward. It's more in the, these levels of efficiency, but also in the resolution of the data that we're actually seeing on board the vessel. So to go back to what we were, we were saying before, it wasn't that long ago we were just dealing with paper charts only, tablets were just a laughable thing. And, and yet now we're walking into 4K screens and big 55 inch chart tables and you know everything is getting bigger and quicker. Um, the problem that I foresee with this, however, is that cost has always been uh, a thing to consider within the, the maritime industry. You know, it's, it's all very well having all of these great gadgets, but they need to be affordable. And soon enough, it'll go the same way as it does onshore, where everything needs more processor speed, it's, it needs more data, so the bandwidth is bigger, the costs just rise. And I think that's that's where you'll start to see a little bit of innovation. You see it with people like um, Iridium, actually, Network has actually started producing uh, an Iridium Go um, network device, which actually is really good for small pockets of information being sent through. And actually, many of the solutions that you can actually utilize and apply offshore can utilize that type of technology, where it, it's, it's, it's using small nuggets of information often basically um you know it's it just it makes the architecture of our solutions slightly different we have to consider consider these things a little bit more but actually there is there are good solutions out there for us to utilize no but, but it's great to see that um you know i guess we we often talk about you know sort of digitization and and often when i'm talking to people about energy transition i talk about the 3ds decarbonization decentralization and digitization you know, and, and a lot of times, if we can if we can harness a lot of those aspects, then we're we're, we're doing an awful lot to support uh, the ultimate decarbonization, but but to, to drive sort of a transformation in in energy, yeah. and uh, I think that's a that's an important aspect, and uh, and when we often think about you know sort of uh, the shipping sector and maritime shipping, we we can sometimes think think of it in terms even for people who who, who whose profession it is in in slightly older terms you know i'm preferring to have that hands-on approach but uh, but it's interesting that when you give the opportunity to to expand technology and to use technology and then gain that trust in the technology it it pays you back in a you know sort of times 10x you know and and it's that effort and that potential that uh, that you're kind of winning hearts and minds of so I guess one question I'd have for, for uh, I'll start with you, Barry, but also for, I guess, for, for both yourself and Michael, is the adoption of new technology <laughs> offshore where you've got, uh, you know, sort of old practices. Do you find that, you know, how, how do you find that initial challenge? Initially, if we go back, if we go back to ten years, and um, we recognise that that was going to be a challenge, moving from 
paper to a digital system for especially captains coming towards maybe the the, the end tail end of their career they they, they were um, apprehensive it would be the word I was used to to actually move from something that they'd used their entire life to a new system so we included them in the process you know and that's that was the key thing for us and I think that goes for any bit of technology that you use make sure that you include the right people in the process not all of the people because then that becomes an issue too but by doing so and uh, keeping them involved in working with some local companies for some sea trials right back in the day DOF was really good to actually put a system on board the vessel and give us feedback constantly and the likes that that helped us build a better platform but it actually also helped get engagement from those that were using it because they felt part of the journey okay good uh, michael what, what, what were your kind of thoughts on this um yeah i completely agree with, with everything that barry has said um if i think about um when we began to introduce our capabilities offshore in the north sea um uh, involving the right people and uh, from the very beginning um, uh, to participate in the in the planning uh, and uh, the assessments of the capability and uh, and actually they weren't just learning from ourselves and uh, the other participants in these trials but we were learning from them as well we were learning about uh, work practices um, uh, rotations, um, what was important to them as, uh, as, as the, the folks doing the real work off, offshore. So um, I, I completely agree with, with that sentiment of, of involvement. Um, but of course, we, we work across many industries. It's, it's not just oil and gas. And of course, we work increasingly in maritime as maritime begins to adopt these capabilities. But we also work in many other industries, such as aviation, uh, manufacturing, heavy equipment. Um, energy and, and so forth and there's learnings from there as well um, and one of the key learnings that we have uh, uh, picked up over the years is is the importance of the right training and um, and also uh, maintaining the right training um, and it's that's about training up front uh, before they the workforce begins to use these these new new, new ways of working but also um, maintaining that training as well uh, that has been absolutely key and um, we've, we've on, on the whole uh, the, the workforce whether it's oil and gas or maritime or else uh, they, they respond well to that investment of training and um, uh, and the final point I'll, I make is is, is also in, involving the workforce and understanding the economic benefit to their operation uh, ultimately whether you're, you're one person company or one person in a multinational organization, impact that. We can see that um, actually they're operating more safely and they're operating more efficiently, then that's very good. It's good for them as well. So I think broadly this, this comment on involvement is key. Um, uh, the, the training elements is key, but also making them aware of the economic and safety impact of the organization is also good. No, perfect. Thanks. Well said, Michael. As I, I guess uh, <clears throat> for, the, for the audience as well, by way of update, unfortunately, we're going to have Alan uh, talk about some of the work the, in, in actually training and competency that, uh, that he's been doing with Senate Drilling. Unfortunately, <clears throat> talking about technology, 
his bandwidth wasn't great for uh, for 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 the call, so unfortunately he couldn't maintain the connection. So um, I'm sure uh, OGV and and uh, one of the one of the um, four communities uh, will be able to get some some uh, input from himself. However, I would like to touch on training a little bit uh, because you know I guess it's one of these areas where. The, where we have, you know, sort of a workforce uh, continually uh, evolving. We've got industry continually changing. Uh, you know, there's this, uh, you know, expectation that we need to continue to learn, and we should be learning. And also the desire to ensure that we're bringing, uh, you know, sort of fresh uh, uh, sort of professionals into our industry. And um, I'm, I'm just going to throw it out here. So, so uh, Maddie, and maybe then Marit afterwards. I just wanted to get to your thoughts, like, you know, with, when, when we look at uh, sort of uh, shipping and, and, and the changes that are happening there, um, how do you see, you know, sort of the, the training impact? Do you see different types of professionals? Do you see different types of, uh, of, of skill sets that are required going forward? So, yeah, yes. I mean, everything's changing and everything's changing so rapidly. Uh, and um, so... Training is, of course, essential to all of this. Whether it's whether it's uh, bunkering hydrogen or, or using you know, the, the the high technology or knowing how to use uh, uh, wind wind propulsion, for example, um, uh, a recent study done on the efficiency of uh, a wind propulsion technology if you train the crew as opposed to if you don't train the crew. So, um, you know, just widely speaking. Uh, training is essential, but also there's, you know, we're constantly hearing in shipping about, you know, young people aren't, aren't going to be interested in shipping anymore, that this is no longer a sought after profession. And I think that, um, that, uh, you know, just, just briefly to say, cause I'm not an expert on this topic, but, but I think that, that higher levels of, of training and competency and a allowing the crew um, to, um, to participate in, um, Oh, how can I say this? I would say participate in the navigation of the ship. That's you know obviously, but I think as as we as digitalization comes in, it's it needs to be combined with the human element, and there needs to be a balance in that, so that the um, so that the the position of the crew isn't being usurped by digital digitalization, but they're being trained in how to use that di digitalization. So so it um, it in so that it, it becomes a support to them. And yeah, uh, yeah. and I'll just stop there. No, no, that makes sense. You're exactly right. Because a lot of time what we need to do is ensure that uh, that we understand the, the, the technology as best in order to make best use of it, you know? And um, I, I guess, like, you know, I, I will open up to the panel here. Is there, you know, with regards to training in, uh, will it be Technip or Harima? Is, is, there, is there any particular focus or change that you've seen over the last number of years with, with different changes in, in technologies or mindsets? The answer can be no. Maybe I can comment from Technique FMC side that it's more <clears throat> another perspective maybe that uh, since I'm part of, of um, new business ventures in, in Technique FMC, it's a lot about learning new things. And, and uh, uh, coming from oil and gas and our whole company is of course, uh, need to learn new things when we are entering into new business opportunities and maybe we are not matured our um technologies so far that we are into operation yet but uh, especially for hydrogen 
there is a lot of aspects when it comes to competency and training that we really need to take care of. First of all, I would say there is probably will be a lack of people being having the right expertise within hydrogen in the near future uh, because the demand for hydrogen solutions is increasing rapidly, but there is not enough people to, to actually execute all the activities. That's a, that's a concern that we have. And also, also of course, uh, specifically around hydrogen safety and the perceived safety of hydrogen, we need really to take care of. So we cannot we cannot uh, make mistakes in this case when introducing hydrogen into the society. So there's a lot of, uh, we need to have a lot of focus on training people in all aspects of, of developing these solutions. No, absolutely. And, uh, and look, you know, I think it's one of these things where, again, like I've touched on before, for me, training is, 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 is absolutely imperative. Uh, from a development perspective for any professional, uh, but also, you know, sort of uh, understanding the skill sets and the attitudes, the behaviors, desires of new uh, professionals coming from, uh, from, from the different workforces from different industries or from colleges or apprenticeships. And, uh, and I think that's, you know, sort of as, 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 you know, senior professionals in the industry, we have to be reflective and, and open to that as well. Sorry, Vincent, do you have something to say as well? I want to say you ask some tough questions, John, um, <laughs> and not just that. I think, I believe that a lack of knowledge is a bigger challenge than uh, scaling or technological issues or even commercial issues. I've noticed that when some minds are made up in an organization about what they want, usually the rest follows. It doesn't really matter how much it would cost or what is involved. Um, at least there was the case in certain projects that we have. They were quite costly, not fully developed, etc. But still, somebody, usually at the top, but also from the bottom, decided we're going to go for this. This is the future. This is our vision, strategy, etc. And then you come to the nitty gritty, and I think knowledge, like Marit says, the lack of knowledge, especially in certain aspects, is a bigger challenge than I believe the technological rollout scalability. Also, maybe not because I don't scale the products, but that's of course from my perspective. And uh, then again, so teaching them the knowledge, reschooling, re-education, all those kind of things become extra important. I'd say. Absolutely, no, absolutely, thanks. And uh, yeah, well, I tell you what, I, I I probably do ask tough questions. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw it to the audience now because they got some tough questions as well. Uh, Matthias uh, Navarro Costa has, has a question here, so apologies for not getting to this earlier. Uh, hopefully you're, you're still listening. Uh, what about fuel cell technologies? Uh, just heard off Laval is constructing methanol fuel cell systems, uh, but still need to be tested. Marsk drilling um, is also involved. So basically, I suppose you know. Fuel cell technologies, uh, these are things that are, that are definitely building up. Uh, I know there was an announcement yesterday from Shell about looking at hydrogen for their ships at the Singapore conference. Um, you know, I guess we, we've touched on, we've touched on uh, sort of different fuel cell technologies. Does anybody want to jump in there? Uh, and yes, he is still there. Thank you, Matthias. So he's, he's, he's ready and waiting for uh, an answer from anybody who wants to jump in on that. So uh, Vincent. What are you, are you yeah, I sent Matthias a private message about my view, but I'm interested to hear what Marit has to say about these because I think uh, she has a better view on the uh, on topic. I'm not, I'm not diverting the question, I'm just really clear. <laughs> <laughs> Methanol? 
Yeah, or you know, any other hydrogen fuel cells like methanol, ammonia, etc. Maybe other candidates. Yeah, I might might not be the expert to answer that from a vessel's perspective, but I I think generally for all fuels when it comes to vessels, we need also to take uh, into consideration the the challenges on the infrastructure side because going for liquefied hydrogen or methanol or or anything else is a completely different process in pro, in production of it. So this needs to go hand in hand. Uh, but uh, Nada, you have much more insight into vessels and fuel cells and different fuels than me, so I, I'll challenge you. Yeah, thank, thank you, Mary. Um, yeah, fuel, fuel, cells, fuel cells are the future. Fuel cells are the way forward. Our, our, our grandchildren will be telling their children that, that their, um, their ancestors used to burn things to energy. <laughs> Um, you know, we're, we're moving toward electrification and whether that's a hydrogen fuel cell, a methanol fuel, fuel cell or, or whatever, we're, we're definitely headed that direction and, and it's only a matter of time. I mean, shipping, as we all know, is slow to come about, you know, and, and it, it will take time before this, this trickles through to the, the industry. But yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's the future, it's coming and, and for many different types of fuel. Methanol is a different... So hydrogen can be used in a low temperature um, can fuel cell at 99.99% at, uh, purity, but as you know, that, that requires a very high level of purity, which comes from electrolysis, whereas um, a high temperature can fuel cell or solid oxide fuel cell can use uh, various different types of fuels from LNG, methanol, um, ammonia. These fuel cells are, are not uh, market ready, whereas the, the PEM, uh, low temperature hydrogen fuel cells are ready, market ready, marinized, um, ready to go. But this this technology, as we see um, by, by the post, with this with, uh, technology is coming forward and we'll be seeing these on ships more and more. Okay, well, there you go. Yes, uh, you heard it here first That's, uh, that they will be the future. Uh, now, I think we're approaching the uh, last few minutes, but Christoph, has a question here uh, with some technology. So the question is, uh, what is the best recommended approach at our strategy to discover areas which may benefit from digitization in marine shipping industry? So, Barry, Michael, who wants to grab that one? Uh, Maddie, can I ask you to mute if you get a little bit of feedback? Oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, I'll, I'll take a crack at this. Um, it's hard to <laughs> question though as well. Um, it, it, it really starts with the use case. Um, what's the most impactful um, thing that uh, can affect that operator's um, efficiency and, and safety uh, with their day-to-day working, and, and once we understand that, then then we can we can start to build up on that on, on what what the approach needs to be. So I, I would actually turn the question around to Christoph if he's able to answer the question for me is uh, where would in his business where, where would the biggest impact be? Uh, what's the particular use case that he has in mind? There you go. So that's, that's, that's a great way to turn it around. I like that. And what it does, it gives us a little time to be um, to to do a little bit of summing up and then see if uh, Christoph oh. sort of come back to us. I would um, add something. Are you going to point to make them? I would just add oh, something yeah. really quickly. Oh, um, I, th I think the, my answer to that would just be you need to speak to as many people as possible. 
You know, I think I think what we've got thirty eight thousand vessels using our stuff out in the market, global mar maritime dis um, distribution and the likes. We get all of our information for new products come back through just speaking to as many people as possible. Yeah, there, there, there's always someone out there that's a bigger and better specialist in an area than you are, but you maybe have the capability of taking that product to market. Yeah, the feedback loop. So I think it's a, that's a very good point as well, Barry. You know, because it's uh, it, all these things are very much an iterative process. You know, um, mm -hmm. so listen, guys, we're, we're we're about three minutes from the end. Um, there's a couple of things I just wanted to just kind of uh, for for the for the base of the of the of the. Uh, audience, uh, I want to again thank everybody for for their time, taking out to listen. Um, the, the the panel session is exactly what I expected to be: uh, informative, uh, intelligent, smart. It opened my eyes up to different areas that, that I wasn't aware of before, and, and I'm sure it was the same for the audience. Uh, and it's interesting, like, you know, Maddie makes a, um, a a great point. Said, um, "Happy to be on the panel on Earth Day. Of course, today is Earth Day." So. Uh, so I think it's a good time to be talking about uh, sustainability and and in the in, in the in the shipping and marine sector, and I, and I think what we have in the marine sector is a great ability to be able to affect an awful lot of change in a in a in a, in a very close connected uh, industry and sector, and I think you know to my mind what we're getting better at is being able to to you know sort of join dots together uh, and look at different areas of working. And uh, and and think in in, in different ways uh, about how to achieve the same goals. Uh, you know, I loved um, what what Vincent said about the, the multiple silver bullets. Uh, you know, and but but also using different technologies in order to look to try and uh, look to decarbonize and and, uh, and and remove emissions from from activities and work. Uh, you know, so Barry and Michael brilliantly uh, articulated the, uh, the, the the requirements that um, that technology provides and how things have changed in the marine industry and how they've managed to uh, make things simpler and more straightforward, uh, remove a lot of the, you know, sort of want a better term, archaic uh, practices from uh, activities that were done, but also create efficiencies and, uh, and improve safety. Uh, it was great to hear from Mart about uh, about sort of the 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 step change that's been taken in technologies and uh, and how different companies are, are looking to try and uh, fill the the space in order to to uh, create the demand and the and the the, the requirement for these new fuels that we're going to be looking at uh, hydrogen uh, or whatever its derivatives may be. Always interesting to know that uh, you know sort of uh, methanol and, and and ammonia are 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 derived from hydrogen. So even if you know you have you have a, a vessel or a fuel cell or uh, whatever it is that doesn't run on, on hydrogen, uh, it could be hydrogen may be a base for what uh, other fuels are. And, and again, Maddie talking about you know sort of the the, the whole context, the whole aspects of um, of you know where we're trying to get to shipping IMO, uh, the you know sort of the the, the requirements, those, those geopolitical forces as well that are coming from the US. We're seeing them from China. Uh, we're seeing in the EU, in the UK, and these are things that you know by working collectively, we're able to uh, we're able to you know sort of bring down those emissions. So for me, it was a it was a great session. I, uh, I had a great time. I want to thank uh, each and every one of our panelists. Unfortunately, we couldn't get Alan uh, this time, but uh, let's hope next time. And uh, for the for the, uh, the the audience, hopefully, you get a chance to do some networking. And uh, we're going to leave here now, ladies and gentlemen. 
thank you again for your time and please do some networking and uh and we'll see you in the networking zone okay bye for now